Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, February 1st, 2021. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Please remember to go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review if you have not done so already. We've had a wonderful experience over the last week after I've been asking you to do this, reading some of the very nice comments that I have incepted um, uh, by asking you to go uh, leave them. So I thank you for making us, you know, it's like throwing yourself a surprise party um, and going, oh my God, this is such a wonderful surprise. But anyway, it is actually a wonderful surprise and it's very kind of you. And we're not just saying this because we could, we can use the, uh, the praise. Um, it really helps in terms of our position in the iTunes store and other places uh, to make the podcast more visible to people who might uh, want to subscribe in that here are other podcasts you might be interested area in your podcast feed um, if you if you if you've seen it there so uh, you're doing us a favor uh, you're being very kind thank you very much and once again go to the iTunes store and leave us a five-star review and wonderful comments or leave us a five-star review and write nasty comments just the five stars <laughs> the five stars are what matter Uh but uh, And I thank you in advance, and I thank everybody who's done it so far. Thanks so much. And also here to thank you, our executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John, and thank you. Senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John, and thank you, even though we're aggressively quartering, courting the algorithm rather than our human contact. But okay, I'll take uh, it. Our, our favorite <laughs> Luddite. That was so Sorry. on brand. So on brand. And it's associate Monday. editor, I'll Noah stop. Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Um, okay, so, so much to talk about. Uh, apparently today, if the snow doesn't uh, prevent it, Joe Biden is going to meet with 10, uh, this sort of gang of 10 Republicans who are proposing a skinny version, I guess you would call it, of the coronavirus relief package um, that I have to say reading it is so um, sensible uh, in its uh, parameters uh, that it's it, it's kind of astonishing and and in some ways moves them to the left of Biden on economic terms because they're saying why on earth would you want to give you know fourteen hundred dollars of stimulus to people who are making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year that doesn't make any sense and we can limit the cost of this incredibly expensive bill simply by putting a ceiling on the income levels of the people who receive the check, um, which not only seems eminently sensible, but as I say, is sort of like, why are we, why are we subsidizing the rich? You know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't follow. There are a couple of other things, including this uh, extension of unemployment benefits to September, which they are proposing to extend through May, the $600 or $300 federal uh, extra subvention in terms of unemployment, um, stuff that was sort of cobbled together to pr- produce a kind of like eye-poppingly large uh, bill, uh, which was intended in part, I think, to calm the markets or give people the sense that you know the cavalry was on its way to rescue them. Uh, anyway, Biden is now under pressure from Bernie Sanders and others to take this moment to use the complicated process known as reconciliation to get this democratic wish list that has been stuffed into the COVID reconciliation bill, including a federal minimum wage set at $15, which 
aside from the fact that that would be it's really bad policy forget that it's really bad policy why on earth you would you would do that now uh or not if if it's such a great thing and everybody wants it so much so fine so do it uh in its own standalone bill and force people to go up or down on it like you know it doesn't have to be stuffed into this bill anyway uh so th- those are the those are the politics of the present moment and it is i guess a real this is the first moment at which we see a kind of normal politics being practiced here which is biden says he wants unity he says he want he says he can work with republicans he said that for a year they're giving him a chance to work with them and now the question is will democrats in biden's own coalition go along with a compromise package I suppose we need to identify, you know, the the more the governing wing of the Democratic Party, which regards Republican recalcitrance as, as hostile and really kind of wants to leverage the reconciliation process to force some of this stuff through, which seems kind of dubious to me. But um, that's nevertheless, it's parliamentary, so you can still be a governing party that way. And the other side of the equation, the, the real progressive left, which wants to destroy the filibuster over this and wants to, you know, use use it as a, a bloody tunic to whip up sentiment in the streets against Republicans and is turning on Joe Biden for for daring to talk to Republicans at all in this moment, you know, not understanding the fact that they, you know, Republicans have thrown out, thrown out on their ears, you don't have to talk to them anymore. Um, and I'm not sure what the composition of the Democratic Party is at this point between, you know, to, to say who's who's got the upper hand here is are we talking like 60 40 70 30 um i don't know the the microphones are all trained on the anti-governing side of the let of the of the ledger here for democrats but i don't know if that's a proper reflection of who's who's really in control that's i think a very interesting point and it goes to the larger political point of the present moment uh and and the moment going forward uh which is uh we we just watched a week or two weeks in which uh, an obscure Georgia uh, lunatic who got herself elected to Congress is on the verge of becoming one of the most famous people in America for the rest of her life. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, obviously. So I'm talking about uh, just two years after um, a you know a, a New York City w- waitress uh, outmaneuvered a. Uh, an old uh, Democratic poll uh, by getting 15,000 votes to his 10,000 votes in the Democratic primary uh, and then became one of the most famous people in American politics, that, of course, being Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, neither of whom has any interest in governing as we understand governing uh, or, 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 you know, using the levers of power in the United States in the way in which they are intended to be used to move the political debate. And if you take these polls, Marjorie Taylor Greene on the right or the far right and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the far left, the incentives for being a legislator, uh, we are there is a huge test that is going to go on in the next couple of years as to what it will mean to be a legislator in the United States. Um, because not to be nostalgic about this, but legislators are people who write pass, argue over, negotiate, uh, screw around with, and otherwise, you know, fulfill. That's what they do for a living is deal with bills. And these people are uh, using, as Yuval Levin would say, are using the institution of Congress as a platform uh, 
uh, to to make themselves and maybe their views and their positions more famous or better known, but not to actually do the business of legislating. Well, and it's worse than that, right? Because it's a co-optation. Uh, look at the Green New Deal, right? When when pressed on the details of how this was uh, long-term going to be affordable or doable in any way, shape or form, AOC's response was, well, it's it's kind of my dream board. You know, it's like my vision board for what we should be doing. You're like, no, it, it needs to be legislation, which requires horse trading, the, ba- the, the horribly non-transparent backroom dealing, which is where a lot of stuff gets done. Um, it requires coordination among the staffs of these people, too. And I think there's, as we've seen in a couple of high-profile instances, most notably the the Brett Kavanaugh uh, confirmation hearings, the staffs of some of these legislators are themselves actually more activist-leaning than the people they work for, so there's problems there too. But I, I think with uh, with regard to the COVID relief, you know, Nancy Pelosi was sort of flirting with this game playing uh, before the election, and now what we're seeing is an inability to respond to legitimate questions. For example, why throw money at a problem at, at states and, and schools, for example, where they haven't even spent the money that's already been given to them? There are a lot of questions about whether this is affordable long term. And I, I'm proud of these Republicans for, for making a stand right now and saying we got to talk about this. I, I don't have a lot of confidence given how Chuck Schumer has been kind of all over the map and certainly how how the Biden administration has treated its most the most important person in the Senate right now, which is Joe Manchin of West Virginia. They don't seem to have settled on a strategy yet. And that's that's not good for them long term if he wants to get some of his extremely progressive and sweeping legislative agenda through Congress. We should talk about this Joe Manchin thing because uh, Manchin, uh, very interestingly, I thought, came out and fired a shot across the bow of the White House uh, because they arranged to have uh, Vice President Kamala Harris give an interview to a West Virginia TV station and to do some kind of a press day uh, in West Virginia selling some version of the Biden energy. I'm not quite sure what it was. And Manchin said, whoa, 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 hold on. Like nobody even gave me a heads up. You guys were doing this. Maybe you want to have a conversation with me before you go on the air. She apparently made a couple of really big blunders uh, regarding uh, just terminology references Uh she referred to landmines instead of coal mines. Well, I landmine mean. <laughs> use versus mine land use. <laughs> right. Yeah. Said, landmine. Yeah. yeah. It's like because people in West Virginia are laying, you know, landmines or something like that. This um, you know, so uh whether if they if their purpose or their idea or their communications idea was to do something to sell their policies in West Virginia or to burnish Kamala Harris's credentials or to do something or other. Uh, you know, the whole point is that he w- walks this mansion, walks this incredibly uh, complicated line uh, as the senior politician in a state that goes 30 to 40 percent for Trump. Um, and every other official in the state, I believe, is a Republican and he's a Democrat and he knows how to talk to his people in that state and understandably thinks that there is no Democrat in the country who can do it, and then they just go off and make a, a, a plan on their own. Now, the one now, the I saw on Twitter, some people saying, oh, some... what you... yeah, go ahead. Yeah? No, didn't some uh, columnist or, or have some idea way back when, when, when Kamala was first picked to be vice, that to be the vice presidential um, 
uh, running mate, that she would be Biden's bridge to the working class? Who who wasn't that? This that was like an idea that sounded preposterous at its inception. And and yeah, here well, we you know, see she's it. a famous working class right. person. You know, she's the daughter of a, a professor, um, uh, and, uh, you know, and a mathematician. Uh, she herself, you know, uh, you know, is a, a a lawyer and a political, an urban political activist. I mean, well, so, but these are these know, are the no. same columnists, Abe, though, who were shocked, shocked. I tell you, to see as they call them black and brown people vote for Trump. So like, <laughs> these are the same. Yeah. Right. But, it, but it's all interesting because, you know, there, we've been talking now for weeks about this sort of very interesting and kind of a very peculiar effort to turn Kamala Harris into a national superstar as the vice president, uh, something which Biden himself is, you know, playing a role by apologizing to her for saying I instead of we, the constant invocations of the Harris-Biden administration uh, and all of that, um, and uh, Biden-Harris administration, and uh, her political gifts are as yet unproven, let's just put it that way, or, or have been proven flawed, and it would be a little as though George H.W. Bush were walking around saying, oh, I'm sorry, Dan Quayle, I used the word I instead of me. I mean, he has no reason to think that Harris extends his brand, except in as much as that's the idea of Harris, but the reality of Harris has yet to match the idea, and you can... It would be like if Dan yeah. Quayle was getting glossy, soft-focused profiles in every magazine and was at the, the end of the shopping aisle in those, the, where the magazines are that, like, it's us and Weekly News and, you know, Dan Quayle, you know, uh, you know doing stuff with his family and being all folksy and, uh, you know, getting uh, appearing on late-night television. It's absurd on its face, obviously. But, but look, you can you can take you know you can spend half a billion dollars selling ads or placing ads for Howard the Duck, uh, but that's not going to make Howard the Duck a hit unless people want to see Howard the Duck. So they are supply siding Kamala right. Harris here, and we have absolutely no reason to believe that Kamala. And was it worth? Getting Joe Manchin angry and annoyed, and I would say nervous, nervous that they're going to screw up their own well, that's efforts what's to do positive things. The um, right after the elections, there was some speculation about who would be the most important uh, as- aspect of this of the Democratic Party's majority, slim as it was. Would it be the moderates like Joe Manchin and and by extension Republicans like um, Sue Collins? who would really call the shots or would it be um, the more uh, aggressive outspoken types like the squad in the house who would really be able to set the tone and set the agenda and command, um, command, set a commanding presence and, and, you know, shape, shape the course of events. And it does seem like Joe Manchin really is feeling his, his strength here and is willing to flex a little bit of muscle. Um, And so maybe it is the moderates that have, control over this, the, the governing wing, as it were, that have control over uh, the course of events in the 117th Congress. But Abe, but Abe so there used to be the, the but the, the other part of the incentive structure that has changed, obviously, uh, if you're an extremist, you can kind of sell yourself 
with this direct marketing now uh, on the internet, social media, emails, all of that to people who will send you $20, which is the Marjorie Taylor Greene story following exactly in the line of all the squad members and everybody else who leverages the fact that they're called, you know, fascist and monster and all of that by, uh, by, by their enemies and by a lot of people to say, ah, they're trying to silence me. They're trying to silence you. If they're trying to silence me, give me money. Right. But there used to be a body of opinion in DC and in New York and among the sort of in elite media that, um, that leaned heavily into mansionism or Collinsism or what you might call what I guess, Noah, you called governing, you know, the governing Democrats, uh, you know, leading journalists, Dan Balls and uh, David Broder and uh, Susan Page and Clarence Page and this one, all of whom said there are these lions of the Congress who who are neither you know, wildly ideological, nor, you know, uh, whatever. And they, they are the ones who are, that's where the center of gravity is in America. Those are the people to look to. And they're going to sit down in the back room and make a deal. And they had this institutional support in the media that made them look impressive, that made them seem, you know, adult, that made them seem above the fray a little bit. A lot of it was, you know, hooey. Right, but it was a real thing. Uh, I see absolutely none of that now. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's it's all about um, activism and uh, the the theater of activism, and it's also it's also crept into the um, lawmaking process. In, in by which I mean, um, we've been commenting for a while that um, I think what's going to be interesting about. Whether, where we see wh- wh- where we get to on the um, on the COVID relief and the the skinny version, and if we, if we actually do get to some compromise in the middle, what's interesting is that for some time now, <clears throat> legislation has really been a, a matter of um, kind of zero sum proposition, where where there's one party that's entirely for it obstinate, obstinately, and then uh, another side that is against it, and if one can simply outnumber the other. It, that that's that's how it happens as a, whereas because the idea that um if you could actually come to some sort of um compromise that is that is bad in the in the way that um such that, that in the way that compromising that um sort of these workaday legislation sort of you know bill working out politicians used to be praised they, they are they are now not sufficiently activists so you don't want to compromise so if if this can actually happen um in that sort of old-fashioned way i think it's sort of the first sighting of land um you know after having been adrift uh for for so long the press will will if there is a compromise deal that has worked out here the press will be uniformly against it right not because of the substance of the bill, but because of the capitulation of right. Democrats, the capitulation of Joe Biden, because they have all this capital and they're not spending it. Right. Well, I think actually you see you've seen um, in the sort of Twitterization of American politics, you've seen extraordinary contempt thrown at American politicians who try to straddle the center. I mean. Uh, Democrats loathed Susan Collins. Loathed Susan Collins because there's this idea that, well, she flirts with, you know, doing the right thing as we understand it and then decides not to, right? She votes 
for Brett Kavanaugh. That's it. That's the end of her. How dare she, you know, and then they spend, you know, like $90 million trying to throw out Susan Collins. And this is uh, Rob Portman now retiring. When it took him announcing his retirement for people to say, oh, he's an adult, he's a grown up. Like people like that, all anyone ever said was, you're a chicken, you're a coward, you know better than this, but you won't do X, Y, and Z or something like that. You know, so... What people used to be praised for is what I'm saying. And I'm not, by the way, here expressing a value judgment over whether or not Susan Collins or Rob Portman are admirable. But there used to be a body of opinion that said that cautious, prudent politicians who kind of played both sides of the street looked to see where the national consensus was or where the larger consensus was in their states, where their states were a lot more ideologically balanced, like Susan Collins, than a lot of other places. Uh, that was something for which they were held in high esteem, possibly too high esteem. Granted, you know there was a kind of fetishization of that uh, in the in the prior culture, but um, the loathing that they that they engender is is fascinating. But this is one of I think you can trace some of that to uh, one thing that social media has done to politics, regardless of whether you have an R or a D after your name. And that's the impatience it cultivates, not just in the public, which instantly demands results, wants to see an immediate response to things that actually require deliberation. But then the impatience kind of infects the lawmakers themselves. So you see people who in a, in a previous era wouldn't have, wouldn't feel the need to respond except through official channels, maybe through a spokesperson, you know, a, a couple of days later, immediately responding. And that actually then undermines the deliberative process that we're talking about needing to have. And we still need that process. We still need the trading. So if you're going into a meeting with your political opponents to negotiate and horse trade about a big bill and you want something and they want something, but their staffs are, 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 come in with all the angry tweets you've sent at each other and all the responses, it's harder to negotiate. It's harder. You've shown your hand immediately rather than hiding it. That's absolutely true. And you know what else is true? You deserve to be comfortable. You deserve to be comfortable. It's cold out. There's snow. You're, you're, you've been trapped inside for a year. You deserve to be comfortable. And you know where you can, who helps make you comfortable Mac Weldon, the premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart designs and high quality fabrics. I wear them. Uh, I've been wearing them for years. I strongly recommend this great online brand for your top drawer and for everything else in your drawers. So Mac Weldon offers a one-stop shop for men's basic socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, and active shorts, whatever you need. Mac Weldon has you covered, unlike the, the assortment of department store brands that make up your top drawer. All of Mac Weldon's basics have a consistent fit that you can count on. From socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, and active shorts, Mac Weldon promises and delivers comfort and a consistent fit. And you're not just going to look great in Mac Weldon. Their underwear, socks, and shirts perform well, too. From working out, going out, going to work, Mack Weldon is for everyday life, and it offers a wide range of customized fabrics that can keep up with you no matter what your day looks like. Here's something that's even better. Mack Weldon has created a totally free loyalty program. Level 1 gets you free shipping for life, and once you reach Level 2 by spending $200, Mack Weldon gives you 20% off every order for the following year. Mack Weldon wants you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep them, and they'll still refund you, no questions asked. And I did not ask for that refund, because they're great. 
So MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. And thanks to Mac Weldon for sponsoring the commentary podcast. Um, so uh, the snowstorm has um, put a 24-hour to 48-hour pause on vaccinating uh, in the Northeast where the where the snow is hitting. Um, and uh, there is a staggering story in the New York Times today, the big story we talked about on, on Friday about uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, about the revelation of the, or Thursday, the revelation of the mis- uh, undercounting of the deaths in New York State nursing homes, uh, apparently due to the intervention and malfeasance of the Cuomo administration, has now been followed up by a story about how nine senior officials, nine senior officials in the New York State Health Department have resigned over the botched vaccination rollout. Uh, and the story basically says that the governor decided at some point in the summer to the fall that the state's prior experience with vaccinating, uh, you know, for flu and all sorts of other things, needed to be overhauled and centralized in the state's hospitals and hospital system, conveniently uh, jiving with the interests and outlook of the uh, one of his most supportive lobbies, the state hospital system and the state hospital association, uh, and um, nine people quit because they said, we have plans. We've had plans. We do this every year. There's a system of vaccinating uh, all over the state and it, it, that goes county by county, and Cuomo wanted to centralize it, and not only centralize it, but then put it in the hands of this one essential sector, private se- private sector, that does not deal with everyday, deals with people who come to them in extremis, not with everyday contact. And, you know, maybe there was a good reason to do it. Maybe there wasn't a good reason to do it. But I do want to quote this amazing quote that Cuomo used when interviewed by the New York Times about why he had set aside these vaccination plans and why people, why people might have left his employ when they thought these plans were perfectly good. And he said the following... It's the Mike Tyson line, quote, everybody has a plan until I punch them in the face, unquote. Um, That is not the Mike Tyson line. The Mike Tyson line is everybody has a plan until they start getting punched in the face. What does it say to you that Andrew Cuomo shifted that line around, Christine? Well, how would you read, I, I, how would you read this? How would you read this recasting? If of- I were a Freudian, I would have a lot to say about that. I, I actually think it's interesting because I think he does. It ex- he was projecting how he feels right now, which is that he's getting a little bit battered by the people who had you know for the past almost calendar year adored him. You know, he he they the press in particular. And, and other Democratic politicians in particular praised him for his leadership. He wrote his own, you know, self-serving book about it, as we've talked about. But what he always did that was effective for him was shift the blame to the federal government when he was pressed on something. Well, now the federal government is in the hands of the people that the mainstream media loves. So he can't shift the blame in that way. And he's a little cornered 
as well he should be. All of this information was known in the summer. Everything we're talking about with regard to nursing homes, with regard to how he was, you know, sort of pandering to his to his donor base, all of that was known, but it was the missing numbers. Exactly. The missing, the missing numbers. numbers was an yeah. eight, eight Associated Press report in Precisely. August. Precisely. Right. So we know we knew all this, but now he's actually feeling the heat. I mean, we're all there is a certain element of Schadenfreude in watching him twist in the wind, but these are exactly the kinds of things that had had a Republican governor say Ron DeSantis had nine health officials in his state resign and under these circumstances would be on an endless loop on cable news being discussed for, you know, how, what a poor leader he was. So- or just, you could just quote um, Mike Tyson at all. Uh, I mean, this is, if you're even remotely familiar with his career, that quote was at a point in his life where he was particularly addled uh, and undermedicated. And there are a lot of very choice quotes yes. from that particular point in his life um, that if you were to use in any sort of other context outside of being a thug, um, you would be reprimanded, chastised by the press. You'd be a, a source of humiliation for your political allies. So it's very revealing to have um, to have used that one. Go go look up some other Mike Tyson quotes from that, that particular era. You know, it's... Um, it, it strikes yeah. me that Cuomo is sort of running out of things to seize and um, look in charge of, you know, because the, the lo- lockdowns have not turned out um, as he, as he uh, had hoped uh, for himself now. So he's got to like, you know, strong arm every, everywhere he can in this, you know, dire attempt to 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 shift blame. Look, I, I'm just struck by the fact that um, everybody who has dealt with New York State in this vaccination process, um, and I, I can only speak to New York State because I, I don't know what's going on in other states, and it may just be a parallel to everything else, is simple fact of the matter is you don't know how to get a vaccine. Um, there are 250 different systems that you can contact to try to get a vaccine, you log on to an individual website, they say we have no appointments. You log on to another one, they say we've got no appointments. You log on to 10, 12, 15, 18, 27, there are no appointments. There's no central clearinghouse, there's no central appointment-making system. And remember, most of the people who have been trying to do this are over the age of 70 and are not that flu are not that fluent in you know oh I can do I'll set up an algorithm uh, I can set up a you know a push message system I don't know whatever it is that you could sort of work to game the system maybe beyond their ken and they're scared and they're nervous and they're being told that they need to do this fast and all of this and because you need two shots over three weeks or four weeks and it's been impossible. And what this article says is that the fact that it is impossible is due to the behavior, the specific political behavior of Andrew Cuomo in making a decision about how the vaccinations were going to go that overruled. And in this case, when I talk about the health department, I'm not now talking about the health department in the way that we've been you know, criticizing public health right? The kind of the world of social public health. I mean, like people who run labs and people who run, people who literally run databases to register for people for the flu vaccine or something like that. And they've all looked for other jobs or they're trying to get away. And you know why? Because he's horrible. He has made working in New York state intolerable for people who apparently are perfectly competent at their jobs 
but that he is going around punching them in the face, as he himself says. That's a way to lead people? It can be. It can be in a terrible time. But you know what? You've got to show results. You know, it's like the famous Patton slapping the soldier uh, in the bed uh, and nearly getting drummed out of, uh, of the American general corps in World War II, except Patton was a fantastic general. And, you know, Omar Bradley could not let him go. Um, and could not could not spare him. Um, and Cuomo is punching people in the face and doing a horrible job at the same time. So, <laughs> well, I mean, contextually, the, the the context of the remark is was according to the Times report, the scale of the pandemic overwhelming the state's public health planning. So, the, in in his in his formulation here, it's the, it was the pandemic. That did the punching. I know, I know, I know that's what he was saying. I'm aware that the pandemic was punching him in the face. So the idea is the people who had plans didn't have good, didn't, their plans weren't good enough. Except his plan is worse, apparently. (laughs) So you only get that out if by overhauling what was in place, the new thing that you put in place has proved to be effective as it is ineffective, confusing, and has slowed down rather than sped up the administration of the vaccine, he not only doesn't get an out, he has to take responsibility. From Once again, we I said in my column, we've said he was dealt a bad hand. This is a horrible governing situation. But you make choices. If you're going to get praise for the good ones, you can't then say, oh, I can't be blamed for the bad ones. Well, and... and- and this, I mean, in, in his case in particular, there was just a story over this weekend about the, you know, your point, John, earlier, which I think is really important to emphasize about how challenging it is for people who aren't technologically savvy to navigate these appointment systems, even when they do. So in Coney Island, there was a there was an injection site where it said no appointments available and no one was there getting shots. So if you went, if you wanted to go get your vaccine and you somehow managed to navigate the online system and make an, look for an appointment, it said there are none available. And yet at the actual site, there were no lines. They were wondering where everybody was. So there's a, there's many points along this way that are having a cascading effect, the end result of which is the most vulnerable populations are not getting those shots in their arm quickly enough. And you see this you know, here in DC, again, Public trust in our elected officials is very low right now. Some of that is obviously not their fault because we've had this extreme period of crisis with the pandemic. But now is the time to be even more careful about how you talk to people about what's going on. So in D.C., we've had this weird system where, you know, certain zip codes, because they're majority white neighborhoods, are not allowed to register for vaccination. But other zip codes are. The sites are all indifferent. It's very mysterious for a for a decent minded over 65 year old resident um, of Washington, D.C. to figure out how to get a vaccine, like someone who just wants to do the right thing, the responsible thing and get vaccinated. It's made opaque. It's made, there's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of racial politics involved. And the end result for a lot of well-meaning citizens is disgust with their institutions and disgust with their leaders because they feel like they're chumps. They feel like chumps, even though they're trying to do the right thing. You you have to wonder um, now that it's become okay to criticize Cuomo and in fact, you know, um, really break with him. Uh, what else is going to to come out now? I mean, he's got a lot of enemies, a lot of people who can stand working with him, uh, people on the city level, uh, you know, let alone people who work uh, directly uh, with him in, in Albany. It's going to be interesting. 
that look, this was the story. Now, uh, this was the story with Elliot Spitzer, his predecessor as governor. Uh, Spitzer, of course, was ousted not by his own uh, misconduct, uh, but by uh, a sex scandal or a scandal involving uh, payments uh, that uh, seemed to run afoul of tax law. Um, but uh, it, it seems clear that Spitzer's downfall came as a result of making enemies and causing some people to do what they could to exploit his personal weaknesses to bring him down. But in the in the months before that happened, there was a lot. Spitzer was a, is a psychopathic uh, is a is very close to being a psychopath and uh, terrified a lot of people and alarmed them and fr- frightened them and stuff like that. And after like two years of being scared, they started to b- brush, you know, throw brushback pitches back at him. And, you know, he caused his own downfall uh, in many ways. Um, and I use the word psychopath advisedly, by the way, because I don't know, uh, he, you know, made a Spitzer famously made a call to the uh, 80-year-old John Whitehead for writing uh, a an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about how he was uh, unfairly going after somebody or other, uh, Ace Greenberg, for, um, uh, for his uh, Wall Street behavior. And he reached John Whitehead, a man exactly the age of his father, on the phone while Whitehead was on vacation in Mexico and said, I will destroy you. I will destroy your family you have made the, you know, you, you have, you have, this is Whitehead, like as a hero of Omaha beach and a great public servant and all this, like, you know, this was not normal behavior. Cuomo is Cuomo and Spitzer have a lot of similarities. And yeah, once, once somebody like that appears to be wounded, uh, it's open season because he has governed by terror. And so that's a, I think that's an interesting Aspect. By the way, what's interesting, of course, about Christine, you're saying that trust in government is low. This is the tragedy of Trump with COVID. It's the tragedy of our political system with COVID. This was a moment at which that trust could have been reestablished. People look to leaders in times of crisis for reassurance, comfort, a sense that they know what they're doing, a sense that their hand on the tiller is constant. That was the myth of Andrew Cuomo that he was that guy in part to set him apart from from Trump, but also because the country needed somebody like that. So it picked Fauci, it picked him because Trump was so inconstant. But every governor, every mayor, they could all have had that if they hadn't all just resorted to their ideological priors. And, you know, the more uh, anti-capitalist you were, the the easier it was for you to go with lockdowns. I don't know how else to put it. It's like, well, business doesn't matter, you know, the or ordinary commerce does there are people's lives are at stake here. You know, whereas governors who were in you know, whatever, however you want well, to say. That's slice why it. that's why it's not going anywhere. The myth is is much more important than the man. And the myth was it was always a bad fit for Andrew Cuomo, but it was imposed on him anyway. And that's not if if it's not dependent on circumstances, which it never was. And it's not going away. No, but you're right. It, it is going to go away because there's now Biden. There's no, there's no counterpoint. <clears throat> there's no there's no Trump for him to be the anti-Trump of. And so he's got no, there's no backstop uh, or, you know, sense of if you say he's terrible, no one can say, oh, yeah, he's terrible. Well, look what he has to work with. 
back in Washington. I don't think that's going to work much anymore. <clears throat> but if you want to know how to work with Washington in the Biden era, if you are an investor, if you are somebody interested in financial policy, public policy, and the interplay of markets with politics, you got to go look at the work produced by our friends at the Bonson Group. David Bonson and his firm of 27 uh, financial managers with $2.6 billion under management, a bi-coastal firm uh, that has an unparalleled understanding of this interplay. Uh, two great products, the dctoday.com and dividendcafe.com, online analyses of the market. The DC Today does this every night. Dividend Cafe does it every week. Uh, these analyses of market trends, uh, momentary spasms, COVID and its effect on the markets, the GameStop, Reddit, uh, short squeeze world, uh, really brilliantly explained last week uh, in the dctoday.com. These products provide a sense of what kind of command thinkers and policymakers uh, and analysts can have when they have to try to understand how your money has to work in a world of changing political circumstance. So please go subscribe to these dctoday.com and dividendcafe.com and check out the work of the Bonson Group, the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial management world. And we thank them for sponsoring the commentary podcast. Uh, just talking about Trump's inconstancy, more uh, evidence of uh, Donald Trump's inconstancy came on on Saturday night when word came that he had uh, he and his five impeachment lawyers had um, parted ways. And uh, the story, I guess, lays out that he wanted the impeachment trial to be about how the election was stolen. And of course, the election being stolen has nothing to do with the specific charges of the impeachment, except as a motivating force for the insurrection, um, because it, it the the impe- the the trial rests entirely on the impeachment document, which is one count of provoking an insurrection. What uh, Abe? What do we make of this? Well, is this a sign of his inconstancy or his constancy? He's, 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 <laughs> he's stuck on the stop the steal. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what I make of it is it's not so much political. I mean, it's just it's just to me further evidence that uh, all these instances when um, he says crazy things and doubles down on them is that I think he really does believe them. Um, and I think that is the case here because there would be absolutely um, no other reason I, that I can think of to to want a defense like that unless you thought that was actually the case to, to want to go and defend yourself um, against impeachment by, by continuing to insist after weeks after he had made his speech about, you know, moving forward and, and seeing to us a, 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 a peaceful transition of power, wanting to now um, return to the stop to steal um, stuff, I think is, is because he, he genuinely believes it and will continue to believe it as will, we don't know how many of his followers. I mean, what the proce- there is a procedural defense, I suppose, but on the merits, there really isn't. Um, that's really all you have is this, you know, pounding the table with the stop the steal stuff. But these attorneys were guaranteed acquittal. Acquittal is 
is all but written in in the stars here. It's predestined. And then they they jump ship despite that. I mean, that, that has to tell you that there was some real some some conversations were had that were very unethical. Well, and that's that's actually what's interesting. I mean, if if even your lawyers are departing en masse, then you're then you're you've become a pretty toxic brand, as it were, right? So okay, he, it's not just your lawyers; it's obscure South right, Carolina they, lawyers arranged exactly. by Lindsey Graham because every other Everybody lawyer in the United States no. wouldn't touch this with a ten foot pole. But this is and like, it's too much for them. It's funny though it's because it's too dangerous for them to argue it. He he clearly Butch, whatever the hell his name was. <laughs> so Butch he the lawyer. Here's the thing: he's not been allowed on Twitter for some time, and whether or not he has a lurker account, he used to get a lot of, and certainly in the in the immediate uh, aftermath of the election, he was getting a ton of just kind of reward from kind of the stop the steal stuff. You know, oh, I've been I'm the victim here. This is terrible. The system is rigged. So he hasn't been getting that. He's isolated down there now in Florida. You know, he's getting the people who are visiting him are people like Kevin McCarthy and and phone calls with Marjorie Taylor Greene. So he's he's it's a strange bubble that he is living in. And I actually take it as an incredibly positive sign that he can't get a good lawyer and that he's sticking to this because it could have the effect of further marginalizing him at the same time that some Georgia Republicans now are even saying, ah, Marjorie Taylor Greene, not so great for our brand either. So this could be a, a hopeful sign for you know conservatism and certainly for the Republican Party at the same time that it's going to make him, who knows what this trial is going to look like. That's it. That's that's what what's shocking here is that there will be a trial. Somebody will mount a defense of Donald Trump's actions in the Senate. Um, and what is it going to be? I mean, it's these people, these Republicans are desperate for a way out of this. They need an off ramp. And whoever defends Donald Trump apparently is going to make it as hard as possible for them to cast their acquittal vote. Right. I, I manage the, I, I expect that they will figure out a way to rationalize their way into it, but Good. whatever arguments are going to be made are going to be humiliating. Well, there's Good. going to be a lot of visceral, <laughs> this, there's going to be a lot of evidence because we know from some news reports recently that the Democrats are gathering. They want, they want cell phone video. They're going to gather visually. Their presentation is going to be gut wrenching for people to listen to and watch as it should be, because this was a horrible thing that happened. So they're on the one. They side, also want to make it short. They do. Right. Yes. No, they don't want to make it. They short. don't. Trump does. Yeah. Oh, no, I've, I've, I've been yeah, Republicans and Schumer yeah. want a week because they want to move on to other things since he's going to be acquitted. And that's but good. <laughs> this is the whole point. And this is the whole point about Trump through his presidency and now <clears throat> uh, with its conclusion with the Republican Party, which is that uh, once you get the idea that there is a way to manage your relationship with Donald Trump, <clears throat> he owns you mm-hmm. and he is going to make you pay. The idea is you decide you want to manage your relationship with him so that he won't make you pay or so that he'll make you pay a lot less, right? That's McConnell and Georgia. That's McConnell saying, I don't want to come out too hard against him right after the election because I need his help to win the Senate seats in Georgia. And guess what? Trump lost them the Senate seats in Georgia. I think it's pretty fair to say that if Trump had said, I lost the election, or if all senators had said he lost it, whatever, and then they had been able to go into the election with Purdue and Leffler saying, we're going to Washington as a check on Joe Biden, they would have won going away. And instead, 
according to these counts, 115,000, at a minimum, 115,000 people stayed home who would have voted for them because of the stop the steal rhetoric. And who knows how many people voted for Warnock and Ossoff because of the stop the steal. Probably around 46,000 because that was the margin by which the state commissioner who goes by the name of Bubba. I don't refer, I don't remember the rest of his name, but just Bubba. Bubba the state commissioner. (laughs) Yeah. Who won as this, he was a Republican who won statewide while the Republican Senate candidates lost. Right. So, so right there you have, you have a, you have a pretty, it's not that large a swing, but it's a pretty large swing. Anyway, the idea is McConnell was like, okay, I'll play it. I'll, I'll play nice and I'll be muted and all of this because we need him. And that's like, okay, you know what? You need me. Watch me eat you alive and destroy your Senate majority. Ha ha ha. You can't manage me. I'm an alligator. I am a, I am a predator. I am not a prudent player who looks, I have my, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Okay. But and the more, the more you try to play, and this is what's going to happen to Kevin McCarthy also. But he's Kevin no longer McCarthy the is, apex predator. He was the apex predator and now he's not. And the Republicans should stop treating him like an apex whom? predator. Okay. If you're Kevin McCarthy, you've just gone and kissed the ring and gotten him to say he's going to support you and your candidates in 2021 and 2022 and then he's going to call you in in uh, March and say, why don't you do this for me? And then in April, why don't you do that for me? And then in 2022, he's going to he's going to pick 25 Republican candidates to primary Kevin McCarthy's, you know, softer, squishier Republicans. And what is Kevin McCarthy going to say? He violated our deal because just, you can't. I don't know that deal with him, but I don't. There know is no that, deal. I don't know that Trump's attention span is actually politically that uh, extensive. I actually wonder if, after the trial in the Senate, whether or not he's acquitted or uh, convicted, he might just pivot to something else entirely. And I'm not. This is why I say they shouldn't treat him like an apex predator. He claims to be able to to whip the the Trump voters among the Republicans, but we haven't. We won't have a test of that for a little while. And if he continues, you know, if if his lawyers are abandoning him, if if this evidence really galvanizes public opinion against even more against what happened on January sixth. I could see him not being as powerful a force as he claims to want to be. And look, a lot of his 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 bravado uh, when he was president was one thing, but his bravado and claims about, you know, I'm the best, people love me, when he's out of power and and toxic to a lot of the American people, I'm not so sure I'm buying it. Like, And, and the media needs to stop. That's, I think, in part why they've turned to Marjorie Taylor Greene. They need to find another crazy conservative to focus their energies on as a counterweight to what they see to be mainstream liberal ascendance. I was told in the week after the election, when the Stop the Steal stuff started, I spoke to some very prominent Republicans and people in the conservative world, and they're like, it'll burn out. It's just going to burn out. Like you'll see in a week, it'll all be over in a week. McConnell's ready to come out against him if necessary. And everyone's sick of it. And the donors want to go back. It's all going to take a week. I'm talking about pundits. I'm talking about politicians. I was told this repeatedly. And I was like, I don't, not that I want, I'm saying this because I want to say, oh, I was so prescient. I'm like, He's not going to stop. What 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 is it that makes him stop? And similarly, you think he wants to go back to Trump stakes? 
he's just been the most important person in the world. He's that you know this whole notion that he's going to go back and sort of become like a direct marketer to try to make money off you know the Trump victory fund. Like he's in an entirely other realm now. He's not backing off back into the small time and and like you know throwing a chair at Vince McMahon's head. He, that he's he's been you know like threatening nuclear war against North Korea. Like you, you don't go back. Abe, you have you're nodding, so I'm enjoying that because you're agreeing with me. Well, yeah, no, like Trump, I would like you to now tell me how brilliant I am. You're very brilliant because oh no no go on just wait now I, we all have to say it. It's like a cabinet meeting in the Trump administration. That's right. <laughs> um, look, no, if you if you recall in the Biden administration, you have to say that Kamala is brilliant at the cabinet meeting. Uh, go ahead. There, there is a I think very plausible argument that Trump ran for president. In, or to the extent he ran in earnest uh, in 2016 because he was humiliated at the White House Correspondents' Dinner by um, Barack Obama. That is the that, that's those are the kind of things that motivates him. Um, so the idea that he is going to let let his um, sort of legacy uh, fade humiliatingly in the wake of uh, the double impeachment and the uh, attack on the Capitol and the, and the loss to Joe Biden, I think, is an impossibility. I think I think it goes to what you're saying. There is no way he is not going to give everything he has into um, fighting this in the most sort of spectacular. And, and well, if he wants to force a confrontation, then he can do it. Right. I mean, it seems like. That's what he, he wants to do. He, he's going to get whatever attorneys he can to argue this farce in front of the Senate and force Republicans to get on record endorsing the farce. I, I, I can't. If there's going to be a conflict, I mean, it seems like Republicans are going to have to do everything in their power to avoid it. Um, but it may just not be feasible. He won't let them avoid it. That's my point, which is there is no avoiding it. He's not stopping. He will never stop. This is what's going on. And the wor- if you want to look and say what's going to happen, think about what you think is the worst that's going to happen, and it'll be worse than that. Well, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with your diagnosis of how he's going to behave. What I'm saying is that there's an opportunity if, re- if Republicans stop following that path and, and enough of the leadership does that, as well as enough if, if we have someone to fill that vacuum, right? There's got to be someone. We don't have a leader right now. This, the party is leaderless. Um, we, we've got, I mean, McConnell is not capable of, of drawing those voters back to something other than Trump and his conspiracy theories. But they, but that's not to say someone couldn't, right? I, I'm just saying long-term, Trump is a is a losing stock, right? And you can have your, you know, we, let's make our GameStop references. You can have people try to jack the price of that stock, and they will periodically in the near term. But in the long term, I'm not sure he doesn't just, you know, become a junk we're in a, weird, we're in a weird position because uh, parties that don't have the White House, and particularly parties that don't have the White House, the House, or the Senate, don't have leaders. By definition, there is no leader. This is a very unusual situation because Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. As we stand, more than 50% of the Republicans in these polls say they want him to be the nominee in 2024. He's the most famous person in the world. All of that. If he doesn't go away, nothing is going to make him go away. And you're right. You know what? I'm the, 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 the interesting bet is to bet against him. The interesting bet is to say he's a losing stock and they should vote to convict him. 
that's that's the interesting bet because going on this course is going to have the same effect as convict as 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 convicting him. They they think they know that they will hurt themselves worse by voting to convict than by voting to acquit because he, the, he they won't get mad at him the Trumpians and he won't get mad at them. Well, give it two months. Give it two months and then see what the demand is. You think this is the only ask? He doesn't stop asking and they don't stop demanding. That is the nature of a blackmail scheme is that you up the blackmail and you up the blackmail and you up the blackmail and there is no end to it. And so if you sell your soul, your soul stays sold. You don't get to walk away when it looks like, you know, when it looks like, uh, you know, the someone's going to go into retirement. And you know what else you need to, you know, you can't walk away from? Your data on social media. You go on social media. You look at videos. You send out emails. You do searches. And what happens? Your internet service provider sells that data to other big tech companies to use, to make money and to use against you. So, not only that, of course, they're also deplatforming people that they don't like and whose views they don't like. So you can just deactivate all your social media accounts to get away from them, but that would be giving them what they want in the first place. Instead of letting big tech sites try to control your speech, why not revoke their right to your data? That's why I choose to protect my online data by using ExpressVPN. When you use it, You anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address that makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. What's more, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from eavesdroppers on your network, and the ExpressVPN app couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone and computer, and you're protected. It's time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy with the VPN I trust at expressvpn.com slash commentary. By visiting my link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash commentary, expressvpn.com slash commentary to protect your data today. Uh, Okay, so uh, the package, just to to, uh, put a button on this, uh, word is out on what the gang of 10 is going to propose to Biden it's a $600 billion package. Uh, and of course, the Biden package is $1.9 trillion, I believe. Isn't that the number? So we got a we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of room here between the two. But of course, the thing that the gang of ten will say is this is just what we'll vote on now. Take everything out that's not in there and do it in March or do it in April. If we need immediate results. You can get to 60. Uh, I'm telling you, it's an interesting political play. It's the political play that Trump could have used at the beginning of his administration on infrastructure and stuff like that. Put your money where your mouth is. You say you want these things, you can have them. We'll do it together, and then we can fight later over other stuff. Trump didn't do it for complicated reasons. And that's the thing with Biden is that he ran by saying that this is the kind of thing he would do. Well, this but this is Donald Trump invented this whole issue. The two thousand dollar checks thing was just something he came up with one day because he was mad at Mitch McConnell. Yeah, Democrats adopted it, ran on it, won the two cent Georgia Georgia Senate seats as a result, and Donald Trump has effectively set the agenda for unified Democratic governance. And Republicans are now trying to talk him down like he's Donald Trump. He he looms over us like a shadow. 
Anyway, just an interesting question now because uh, this is the issue. With that, do they want results? Do they want to say we got together and we did something for the good of the American people at a time of crisis to provide immediate relief with the ongoing pandemic until the vaccine can really, you know, show us the path out of this with some speed? So we're doing this now with the vaccine in hand to get us to April or May. Uh, so take out the Democratic wish list of policy options you want to stuff in there, and we'll all do this by Wednesday or Thursday or even before the trial begins. I don't know. It's an interesting, this is a tricky one. It's the first interesting political dynamic I think I've seen since the vote on the uh, repeal and replace Obama, you know, the thing where McCain, you know, had the deciding vote you know, just weeks before his death. So it's been four years since there was an interesting (laughs) moment like this in terms of legislative choices. Anyone want to guess which way it goes? Ah, come on. Go ahead. I I, I mean, if we have to go by just the few weeks of of example we have and how Biden is governing, I'll say he's going to blow it up and do whatever the hell he wants, because he has so far governed far more radically than he than he ran as as a candidate. I think they probably end up doing something that's a little bit more than a thousand, a little bit less than fourteen hundred and get rid of the minimum wage. Okay, so you're saying the negotiation will be will will work off this document. But there'll be a compromise package, probably. If something's going to get passed, it's going to be a compromise package. Um, Because I just don't think you can do anything that that they want to do via uh, reconciliation. But it is going to infuriate the the ungovering wing of the party, the left wing. Yeah, but they'll have to keep some of the the left wing wish list in, right? It's not not going to be... uh... Completely. Well, there's plenty in right. there. Yeah, the blue state blue state bailout is probably what they're going to have to. I don't know. For. Like the left, that's the whole point about the 43 executive orders. I mean, they've gotten a lot of their wish list that Biden could hand them unilaterally. Already, does he get no goodwill? Does he not get to say the thing that he wants to say, which is, "I'm the guy who can work across the aisle and get things done." I mean, I don't know. Like I say, it's an interestingly tricky thing. By the way. Um, The other political thing is, of course, that uh, by 2022, you could have these Republican senators in particular just hammered mercilessly on their right, sort of like tarp and talf. Like, you gave in and sent this Keynesian monster, we didn't need it, and you spent all this money and blah, 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 and like the, the, you know, eat, eat the centrists. What, they're not really centrist, but you know, eat the eat the governing Republicans up alive. Um, and so, if I were Biden, I might want to make that play too. Like, make it as hard. They came in, they wanted to make a deal, and you know what? They're gonna they're dealing with me is in the long run going to help me solidify my Democratic majority in the Senate because three or four of them are going to lose their seats in twenty twenty two. I don't actually. I don't know if that's really true because. I don't know how many of them are up in 2022, but nonetheless, you see what I'm what I'm saying. I think it's an interesting, it's just an interesting moment. I don't know how it's gonna. I would say he ought to do it. This is gonna be a mark of whether they're they're smart and canny and have an interesting idea for how politics plays out over time, or whether they're just basically a bunch of, you know, brainless leftists in, you know, in centrist garb. And we'll find out. 
uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks, and we'll be here to talk about it. So for Abe, Christine, and Noah, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.